The reading this morning is Jeremiah verifying his credentials as a prophet of the Lord. And this is found in Jeremiah 1, verses 4 through 9. The word of the Lord came to me, saying, Before I formed you in the womb, I knew you. Before you were born, I set you apart. I appointed you as a prophet to the nations. Ah, sovereign Lord, I said, I do not know how to speak. I am only a child. But the Lord said to me, Do not say I am only a child. You must go to everyone I send you to and say whatever I command you. Do not be afraid of them, for I am with you and will rescue you, declares the Lord. Then the Lord reached out his hand and touched my mouth and said to me, Now I have put my words in your mouth. Morning, church. Before I begin the sermon of the hour, I would like to say just a couple of things. First off, uh, just a brief update on uh, Stacy's and my daughter-in-law, Antonia. Uh, she came through the operation very well, actually. Uh, there were complications, but she is home. Uh, she is in a great, great deal of pain and will be for at least four to six months as her brain fills in the area where the tumor was. She ended up at Health Sciences Center in emergency on Friday night, and they gave her morphine to help her with the, uh, the pain, but she was able to be sent home. And so we thank you for your prayers and ask that you would continue to pray for her, if you will, please. Secondly, I'd like to introduce you to someone who has known me longer than I have known myself. That is my slightly older brother, Harley, uh, and his wife, Ellie. They're here this morning, and I'd like the church to welcome them to our midst today. <laughs> Jeremiah is known as the weeping prophet. He's also the prophet of loneliness because he was commanded by God that he would never marry he was also not allowed to attend funerals, of which there were many during his lifetime because of God's judgment on the people. He was also not allowed to attend joyful occasions. He was called to his life's work when he was still a fairly young man, about 20 years of age, and it was a hard road that he had to walk through life. He faced a lot of opposition, beatings, and imprisonment, and he endured those things for more than 40 years. And through all of that, he maintained his gentle spirit. So my question to you today, do you think you have a tough job? Well, let me say it's probably a piece of cake in relation to what the prophet Jeremiah had to suffer during his career as he tried to call an apostate, idolatrous nation back to God. And as he pronounced judgment on them because of their stubbornness, their rebellious nature, and their unrepentant hearts. And there's probably 
another lesson in there to some of us about stubbornness and maybe rebelliousness. But that is not my purpose today. Our topic for today is the admonition to Jeremiah in chapter 1, verse 8, in face of what would be a very difficult, lifelong calling. Do not be afraid. Let me think with you for a moment of some of the things we fear as individuals. All of us, I think, can remember being afraid of something. In our younger years, maybe we were were afraid of the monsters under the bed. Or maybe we wouldn't go to sleep unless the closet door was closed. We might have been afraid of sounds and things that go bump in the middle of the night. Let me tell you one of mine from my youth. As I was thinking of this, do not be afraid. I had some older cousins who would very often visit at the farm where I was raised and spend the weekend at my mom and dad's place. And these cousins would bring me horror comic books. And I was an avid reader from the time I learned to read. So I would read these horror comic books. But then when it was time to go to sleep at night, guess what was in my head? And so I'd call out to my dad. I'd say, Dad, are you still awake? And he'd say, Yes, I am, son. Go to sleep. Maybe you remember in your teenage years that you were afraid that you'd have no friends or that you'd not be accepted into the right circle of friends. In young adulthood, it may have been fears of getting an education, that you could get the career that would be your lifelong calling, or it might have been finding the right person to marry. And those may have been fears that that you had. And maybe after you did hopefully find the right person, it may have been concerns about providing a home. How about our middle years? Will I have enough to retire on? Better yet, will I enjoy retirement when I get there? And even more important, will I have my health? when I get to retirement. How about old age? Maybe you have a fear of the final curtain, the final act of dying and leaving this world. So today, we are going to look at some examples of individuals who were in various crisis situations in life and to whom God said, do not be afraid. The first one that I want to look at, besides Jeremiah, is Abraham. And if you have your Bibles, turn to Genesis chapter 15. We're going to do a little bit of reading today, and then talk about the text. Genesis chapter 15. After these things, the word of the Lord came to Abram in a vision, saying, Do not fear, Abram. I am a shield to you. Your reward shall be very great. And Abram said, O Lord God, what will you give me since I am childless? And the heir of my house is Eliezer of Damascus. And Abram said, Since you have given no offspring to me, one born in my house is my heir. Then behold, the word of the Lord came to him, saying, This man shall not be your heir, but one who shall come forth from your own body, he shall be your heir. 
And he took him outside and said, Now look toward the heavens and count the stars, if you are able to count them. And he said to them, So shall your descendants be. Now this promise that was made to Abram was made when he was the ripe age of 90 years. And he was promised an heir. And when you think of what the New Testament says about this point in Abram's life, in Hebrews 11 and verse 12, and also in Romans chapter 4 verse 19, that Abram was as good as dead. When he considered his own body, and that would have been true, at 90 years of age and about to father a child, he was as good as dead. But he never wavered when God made the promise to him that he was going to have an heir, that he was going to father a son, he never wavered. He believed what God had promised he, God, would do. Do you have that kind of faith? Do I have that kind of faith? As I think about Vince Anderson, I kind of doubt that I'd have that, that kind of strength at that age in life. Now remember, it took another ten years before the promise was realized. In Genesis 15 and verse 1, it says that Abram feared, perhaps he feared the kings of the east would visit him with punitive military action because he had gone against them and delivered his nephew Lot in chapter 14. But you'll see here when the promise is made, Abraham suggests to God, that look at my servant here, Eliezer. Uh, he was born in my house, and I'll adopt this slave as a son to be my heir. Now, tablets have been discovered, ancient tablets, that this was something that was quite common at that time in history. It was customary for wealthy, childless couples to adopt a servant and make him an heir. But God makes it clear to Abram old Abram, that one would come forth from his own body. And at the age of 100 years, he did when Isaac, the child of promise, was born. Second example, Moses in Numbers chapter 21. And if you turn to there, we're going to read verses 33 through 35. And they turned and went up by the way of Bashan, and Og, the king of Bashan, went out with all his people for battle at Edrai. But the Lord said to Moses, Do not be afraid, fear him, for I have given him into your hand and all his people and his land, and you shall do to him as you did to Sihon, king of the Amorites, who lived at Heshbon. So they killed him and his sons and all his people, until there was no remnant left him. And they possessed his land. Now, from Deuteronomy chapter 3 and verse 11, we learn that Og was a giant. It says that he was of the remnant of the Rephaim, who were a race of giants. Remember that in these days, battle was basically all hand-to-hand combat where you engaged your enemy face to face, where you could smell his sweat, you could smell his fear, 
and you'd probably even smell his bad breath. Og would have been a fearsome enemy. His bed, for instance, was 13 and one-half feet long and six feet wide just for him. Now, if you don't know how that long it is because of, you know, our measuring system, measure that out and see how big the bed of this giant was. And so I submit to you, all of you guys who like to watch UFC, the ultimate fight contest, I submit that the best ultimate fighter or the best heavyweight boxer that's in the ring today would not go up against a guy like this. They would not try their, their health and their, their future by going against an individual like this. And But Moses was told, have no fear of this individual. For I am with you to deliver you, and that is exactly what God did. Moses prevailed over him, over his sons, who also no doubt were giants, and they took over his land. The second example, or is this the, the third example, is Daniel. And I want you to turn to Daniel chapter 10. And read with me verses 7 through 10. Daniel has had a vision. Now I, Daniel, alone saw the vision, while the men who were with me did not see the vision. Nevertheless, a great dread fell on them, and they ran away to hide themselves. Now this vision was a fearsome vision. The men that were with him didn't even see it. But they knew something was up, and they were so frightened that they ran away, they wouldn't even stay there. And so Daniel says, So I was left alone and saw this great vision, yet no strength was left in me, for my natural color turned to a deathly pallor, and I retained no strength. But I heard the sound of his words, and as soon as I heard the sound of his words, I fell into a deep sleep on my face, with my face to the ground. Then, behold, a hand touched me and set me trembling on my hands and knees. And now verse 12. Then he said to me, Do not be afraid, Daniel, for from the first day that you set your heart on understanding this, on, on humbling yourself before your God, your words were heard, and I have come in response to your words. This was the angel who was speaking to him. And verse 19, And he said, O man of high esteem, do not be afraid. This is the second time now, he's told. Do not be afraid. Peace be with you. Take courage and be courageous. Now, as soon as he spoke to me, I received strength and said, May my Lord speak, for you have strengthened me. Now, you see, Daniel was afraid, but he was no wimp. In fact, anyone who would be here today who said, I've never been afraid of thing, a thing, let me say to you either you don't have very much sense, or you're not telling the truth. All of us have had fears. Remember that Daniel had been in the lion's den for his faith in God. Because he refused to bow down and worship that huge idol that Nebuchadnezzar had set up. I want to ask you if you've ever been to the zoo and seen the lions. 
I want to talk to you two instances about lions. It happened some years ago when my boys were all very young. One of them was here in Winnipeg when they still had lions. Maybe they do now, I don't remember, but they had lions then. And I remember we were standing at this lion's cage, families. And there, the lions were out kind of in the center of the cage, about 50 yards from the, from the, the, the wire cage. And there was a man who was standing nearby me who was taunting this lion and making fun of it. And the lion, with those tawny yellow eyes, had fixed his eyes on that individual who was making fun. Not Gerald, who I pointed at, sorry. <laughs> the lion had fixed his eyes on that man, and when that man turned away, that lion was at that cage in a split second. All of us forgot that there was a wire between us, and every one of us fell back. I was amazed at the lightning speed of that animal and how fearsome it was when it was right in your face. The second incident was at the zoo in Calgary, and they had huge circular cages for the lions. They were well set up with long grass and big trees and rocks that looked like the African veld. And there were a few lions in this cage, and they had, they had uh, two or three cages there for them so they could put them back and forth between these cages. And the lions were in one cage and touching it, basically, and uh, a, uh, a gate to get through to, for the lions to the different uh, cages. One of the zoo attendants opened another gate, and he was going into this cage, and immediately, immediately, one of those lions got up, and he was creeping along, and he was stalking that man. Now, he couldn't get to him, fortunately, because if he did, that man was lunch. Because it is in a lion, a wild animal, to stalk and kill its own meal. Daniel had been placed in the lion's den. He had been right in amongst them. He would have smelled them, and lions don't smell very good. He no doubt heard the rumbling of their stomachs, because lions are pretty much always hungry. He might have even heard a menacing growl or two. It's one thing to be outside the cage and hear them growl. It would be another thing to be inside the cage and hear them growl. If you want to read about some up-close and personal stories, true stories, of people's experiences with lions in the wild, I recommend a book called Death in the Long Grass by Peter Hathaway Capstick. But it says, when Daniel was so fearful of that vision, that the angel touched him and strengthened him. The next example is Mary, and I'd ask you to turn now to Luke chapter 1. I'm going to begin reading in verse 26. Now in the sixth month, the angel Gabriel was sent from God to a city in Galilee called Nazareth, to a virgin engaged to a man whose name was Joseph, of the descendants of David. And the virgin's name was Mary, and coming in, he said to her, Hail, favored one. The Lord is with you. But she was greatly troubled at this statement and kept pondering what kind of salutation this might be. And the angel said to her, Do not be afraid, Mary, 
for you have found favor with God. And behold, you will conceive in your womb and bear a son, and you shall name him Jesus. And he will be great and will be called the Son of the Most High, and the Lord God will give him the throne of his father David. And he will reign over the house of Jacob forever, and his kingdom will have no end. And Mary said to the angel, How can this be, since I am a virgin? Now consider this. A teenage girl, pregnant out of wedlock. Now in our society, that would not be viewed as very serious. Because, unfortunately, our society has very loose morals. As evidenced by the movies, by the books, and by the music that are available to to every one of us. And over and over and over, immorality is the theme that runs through all of these things. You see, immorality is no longer really viewed as sinful behavior. Becoming pregnant outside of the bonds of marriage is no longer considered a big deal. When I was younger, I remembered that if a girl got pregnant out of marriage, and obviously there's a boy involved there too, that that was viewed as a shameful thing. But no longer is that the case. And the reason that is, because it is still wrong. The reason that it is no longer viewed as, as sinful is that that's no longer viewed as improper conduct. Men and women living together outside of marriage is no longer viewed as being, as being wrong. But it is according to God's standards. Listen to what Hebrews 10, verse 31 says. It is a terrifying thing to fall into the hands of the living God. And has God changed? No. Hebrews 13, verse 8 says, Because Jesus Christ is the same yesterday, today, yes, and forever. Despite what Mary knew would be viewed, as very wrong, she was told not to fear. Do not be afraid, even though in her society that was such a serious thing. You see, she had been become pregnant by the Spirit of God, and a son, Jesus Christ, was born of a virgin. Another one, Peter, I had to, I had to talk about him just for a moment. Peter, in Luke chapter 5, he'd been on the lake of Gennesaret fishing with his partners John and James. They had been fishing all night and nothing. The nets were empty. Now, for those of us who fish and hunt, we know what this story is about. We often come home with nothing. Well, Peter and his partners had this. They came back to the shore empty-handed. Look at Luke chapter 5, verses 4 through 7. And when he had finished speaking, he said to Simon, this is Jesus speaking to Simon now, put out into the deep water and let down your nets for a catch. And Simon answered and said, Master, we worked hard all night and caught nothing, but at your bidding I will let down the nets. And when they had done this, they enclosed a great quantity of fish, and their nets began to break. And they signaled to their partners in the other boat, 
for them to come and help them. And they came and filled both of the boats so that they began to sink. Now, the result of obeying Jesus' command, Peter could have said, it's no use. We tried this lake. It's empty. But they put out the boat at Jesus' command. He said, we, we fished all night, but we didn't catch anything, Lord. But at your bidding, I'm going to do what you tell me. The result of obeying Jesus' command is that they filled both of the boats. They were almost sinking. They had so many. There's a lesson there as well. But I've heard my wife make this statement, and I think it came originally from my mother-in-law, Louise. And that statement is, you never do wrong by doing right. And that's a simple little statement, isn't it? You never do wrong by doing right. But think about that for a moment. It sounds so simple, but it is so much harder to do. And it is still very good advice to live one's life on. Look at verse 8. But when Simon Peter saw that, He fell down at Jesus' feet, saying, Depart from me, for I am a sinful man, O Lord. You see, Peter realized his own shortcomings, his own sinfulness. And this is contrary to the self-righteousness of the Pharisees during Jesus' time here on this earth. Or, for that matter, anyone thinks who might think that they are better than other people. The attitude that I'm such a good person in God's sight. Now, if you are guilty of those kinds of thoughts, thinking how good a person you actually are, or comparing yourself to someone else to say, oh, I'm sure glad I'm not like that individual. Repent. Repent. None of us have anything to be proud of before God. Paul said that he was the foremost or the chief of sinners in 1 Timothy 1 verse 15. Isaiah the prophet, who was a a righteous man and a servant of God, said that our righteousness, our own, is like a filthy rag before God. Isaiah 64 and verse 6. And if you don't know what that filthy rag is, I suggest you look it up in the study Bible to, what, to see what that actually means. Upon Peter's confession of faith, the Lord who knows the hearts of all men and women, boys and girls, appointed Peter to a very important work. Do not fear. From now on, you will be catching men. So what I take from this is no matter what our background, no matter how sinful we have been as individuals, God can use us if we obey and give our lives to Christ. My last example, the Apostle Paul himself. We're going to read about Paul's voyage and his shipwreck on the way to Rome as a prisoner. Acts chapter 27, beginning in verse 18. As they are in the midst of this terrible storm, the northeaster, 
The next day, as we were being violently storm-tossed, they began to jettison the cargo. And on the third day, they threw the ship's tackle overboard with their own hands. And since neither sun nor stars appeared for many days, and no small storm was assailing us, from then on, all hope of our being saved was gradually abandoned. And when they had gone a long time without food, and you notice this, a lot of times when people give up hope, they quit eating. A lot of people, as they come near to death, they stop eating because they know their journey is just about complete. When they had gone a long time without food, then Paul stood up in their midst and said, Men, you ought to have followed my advice and not to have set sail from Crete and incurred this damage and loss. I love this because I said, I told you so. If you only would listen. And yet now I urge you to keep up your courage, for there shall be no loss of life among you, but only of the ship. For this very night an angel of the God to whom I belong and whom I serve stood before me, saying, Do not be afraid, Paul. You must stand before Caesar. And behold, God has granted all those who are sailing with you. Do you notice that? For the sake of one man... God said, I'm going to save the rest of these individuals on this ship. I ask you, have you ever been in a small boat on a violent, storm-tossed lake or ocean? I have. Years ago, I owned a 14-foot tri-hull fiberglass bass boat. And because I'm not a seaman. I was out on that boat with Fred Sizemore, the preacher who baptized Stacy and I into Christ in May of 1973. My father-in-law, who is now 87 years old, and we were out in this boat. The, we got a little too far out, and the waves on old Lake Manitoba can get pretty huge, pretty fast. And we were out in the midst, not in the midst, but quite a ways out from shore, and the waves were huge. And I'll tell you, I was afraid. Because, you see, I don't swim. It's not really natural. And so, as I was in that boat, I was quite concerned about what might happen. And I, I have to admit that I was more concerned to that point than I was for Fred or my father-in-law. Because I knew how well I'd swim. Well, finally, Fred got the boat turned around. And got us back to shore, and I was so grateful once again to stand on dry land. Maybe the closest you've been to a danger like that is in watching the movie Titanic. Or listening to Gordon Lightfoot sing that song, The Wreck of the Edmund Fitzgerald, where 29 men lost their lives on Lake Superior. And so... Look at verse 24 again. The angel said, Do not be afraid, Paul. You must stand before Caesar, and behold, God has granted you all those who are sailing with you. Therefore, keep up your courage, men, for I believe, God, that it will turn out exactly as I have been told. But we must run aground on a certain island. In the midst of that storm, Paul said, I believe. And he quit being fearful. 
So, my question, what are you afraid of? What are your deepest, darkest fears? Maybe it's death. Maybe it's your finances. Maybe it's your relationships that aren't what you'd like them to be. Maybe it's job-related problems that you have a boss that just will not get off your case. Maybe it's retirement and that you may or may not want to retire, but you may be forced into retirement. Then you're worried about how that will go. Maybe it's your health. Maybe you are dealing with some difficult, difficult situation. But whatever your fear is, and we all have them, Bring them before the Lord. Bring them before the Lord. Or maybe a trusted brother or sister in Christ. A lot of times it helps to get things off our chest. But most importantly, bring whatever your fear is before the Lord and trust that the same God who doesn't change and who said to Jeremiah, do not be afraid For I am with you to deliver you, says the Lord. This morning, if there is someone here who has a fear that they are dealing with and would like the prayers of the congregation, please do not feel embarrassed to come forward and ask for prayer. Or if you have decided that you need to give your life to Christ and change the direction that you are headed, Please do not feel fearful to come forward as we stand and as we sing. All to Jesus I surrender, all to Him.